Hi, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Pat Whalen. Pat is a lifelong comic book geek. And Mike is a filmmaker and storyteller. So naturally, a bulk of our conversations surround the world of the Marvel movies. Some consider the MCU one of the greatest achievements in modern day filmmaking. And others just think they're comic book movies. Each episode, we'll tackle one film and discuss the differences between the comic book and what's on screen. We'll explore the growth of the Marvel Cinematic Universe from its inception to present day and beyond and have a little fun along the way. You may not have asked for it. You certainly don't need it, but you'll be happy we're here. We think. This is yet another MCU podcast. Welcome back to episode three of our Yet another Marvel podcast, yet another MCU podcast. podcast? Sorry, I screwed that up. I don't care. We are talking about the third movie. Oh, uh, first of all, hello, Pat. Hey, Mike. All right. No, okay. Pleasantries are over because we need to get into (laughs) this. Is going to be a busy episode. (laughs) We got to go. So we are going to talk about Iron Man two, the third entry into the series. And before we, I guess, get into the nuts and bolts of the movie itself, as you know, when we break it down, we go movie. We're going to go the difference between the comics and the movie. And this movie in turn in its in terms of how it sits in the MCU, which actually this is the first movie that does kind of start. Really does. Yes. Uh, and we will get into that, I'm sure. Yeah. So like I said, we're doing Iron Man 2. It is a rated PG-13 movie. Runtime of 124 minutes. Production budget was $200 million. It was released on May 7th, 2010. That is two years after Incredible Hulk. Is that right? It's uh, two years after both Incredible Hulk and Iron Man yeah, okay. 1. Yeah. Yep. Uh, opening weekend, it pulled in $128 million. Domestically, it made 312 And then worldwide, it doubled that $623 million. So clearly a hit. <laughs> Direct, yeah. Directed by John Favreau, who returns from Iron Man. Written by Justin Theroux, which I did not know. He's the man, man with the red plomboon on his, <laughs> <laughs> up on his lapel. Uh, I, didn't know he, I didn't know he wrote, and I was surprised he, by that as well. He, well. he wrote Tropic Thunder. And that's why he got pulled into this yes. one. Yes, yeah, that's uh, what happened. It was the same. Oh, Robert Downey Jr. Yes. Suggested him, absolutely. As the man playing the man who plays the other man <laughs> is a man. If you don't know who we're talking about, he was in. he was the bad guy in the second Charlie's Angels, the one with Drew Barrymore, Charlie's he, Angels Full Throttle. Yep. And he was the star of The Leftovers yes. on HBO. Great Absolutely. show. I did not see that show. Uh-huh. I don't know why. I never. If I you could get past the first season, which is Depression City, <laughs> by all means, go through the rest because it's it's probably one of the top shows of the decade. That is not a big selling point if I have to get through a season. <laughs> it, it's a good season in terms of storytelling, but it, right. it'll make you want to kill yourself. But again, that's not the show we're here to discuss. Uh, definitely not. Uh, and the producer was oh, Kevin Feige, right? That always yes. says, okay, yep. now um, this is the first time that he's sole producer or he's got his own credit. Let's put it that way. Yes. So uh, I'm he's, assuming that this is his... Yeah, his know, influence is starting to take right, over too. Absolutely. And I only... Only other person I had down here is the composer John Debney, who is part of the did the Greatest Showman, the Jungle Book. But I I just I had two notes on him was this is the only MCU movie he's done, mm-hmm. and he recorded the score in four days. I don't know if that's good or bad. Maybe that's great. I didn't recognize the score. Yeah, I didn't really pay attention to one. I heard a lot of the ACDC and you know a lot of the the popular music that was filtered into it. Sure. Like we saw in the first Iron Man. So if there was a real score in this, I didn't care. <laughs> 
So we have um, we have our regular cast of characters uh, minus one. So Robert Downey Jr. obviously returns as Iron Man and Tony Stark. Pepper Potts uh, is played by Gwyneth Paltrow. You know, John Favreau coming back for as Happy Hogan. Now these people obviously continue through the MCU. Yep. Uh, you also start you introduce uh, Sam Jackson comes back as Nick Fury, mm-hmm. even though he was in the first one as a cutscene. No, not as a, 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 a tag. I think right. it was a uncredited. Right. Or he gets he gets the credit at the very very end of that scene. Right. Nowadays. Then you also were introduced to John Slattery, who plays Howard Stark, mm-hmm. uh, plays Tony's father. Uh, Gary Shandling is in this now as Senator Stern, and yep. he comes back later. Uh, obviously, Paul Bettany's back as Jarvis. Then you start, then you have Don Cheadle coming to the role of James Rhodey Rhodes. And the, he replaces Terrence Howard. Apparently, there was some, there's two stories. And one of them was that Howard was fighting for more money um, following the, because Marvel was notoriously stingy. On some of their paychecks at the time, Robert Downey Jr. ends up getting a big boost after he renegotiates and, and gets some of the back end on Avengers. And, and we'll touch on that in a couple of weeks. But Terrence Howard was pushing for more after the financial success of the first movie. There was also reports that him and, and John Favreau didn't get along. So it's probably both. I'm guessing it's both. Yeah, if if. And you don't want to always buy into rumors, but I did. I had I did hear both of those things that uh, Favreau wasn't happy with the performance, and also that the money issue. And like Howard blamed Downey Jr., Robert Downey Jr. for that, yeah. and they kind of made amends. But again, it you can't really put any weight behind rumors because we don't know. Right. So for whatever reason, he was out, and Don Cheadle was in. Uh, you also are. In, I completely forgot that. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson was in this movie as Black Widow. I don't know why I because I she shows up and I'm like. Oh, she's in this. And she shows up early too. She does. So, so again, you, you she's not known as Black Widow in this. She is. You you find out her name is Natasha Romanoff, but I'm assu- I'm assuming that f- comic fans knew that already when she showed up. Yeah, and I think you even knew it in the trailers because you see a cutscene of the hallway. Scene. Yeah, yeah, she goes yeah. through the hallway. Goes through the hallway fight scene uh, through Vanko's building, and you know you see her in in the black leotard, and she's jumping around. She's got red hair. Everybody's like. That's, yeah, that's but I don't know. So yeah, like yeah. I'm not obviously. I think we've already established this. I have not read. I'm not a well-read comic book person. Yeah. I come from more the movie side of things, so I wouldn't know that. You know what and, I mean? In the beginning, now I do. But right, yeah. I think and Marvel does this thing where they did it with um, at the end of Avengers. Spoilers when we get to that, but <laughs> where happens? they introduce Thanos without saying his name. Right here, they introduce Black Widow with really you know, you know without giving away her identity or without giving away her superhero code name. Same thing in Thor with Hawkeye. They don't really tell you who these people are. And then it leads to a thousand think pieces and other. Who is that character in the movie? I'm not sure how much Marvel's doing this on purpose, but it does continue to drive the discussion of the movie mm-hmm. and, and it works to their advantage. Mm-hmm. We also have Clark Gregg coming back as Agent Coulson. You were introduced to Justin Hammer, played by Sam Rockwell, who we are both fans of. Yes. And then Mickey Rourke as Ivan Vanko, uh, also known as Whiplash, hot off his Oscar nominated role in The Wrestler. Uh, uh, he. Yeah. So, I, <laughs> I don't know how to. I don't. We'll get into that. I, yeah. I just don't know. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's generally the the breakdown of it. Um, like we talked, like I talked about, we're going to go into just kind of our. I guess our viewing. Let's just talk about the movie. Um, do you want to break down what Iron Man Two is about? I mean, I can, but if you would just kind of like a, you don't have to so, go nuts. You just kind me, of like a rough, like where we are and what's what's happening in this movie. Let me just start with a quick. Okay, go ahead. Quick story in the off season, essentially between 
Incredible Hulk and, and Iron Man 2, Disney buys Marvel Studios. This is still listed as a Paramount this movie, though. This is still a Paramount, Paramount movie. Yeah. And this is where the story oh, yeah. gets kind of funny is Disney's biggest stakeholder, biggest shareholder at the time was Steve Jobs. He called up then CEO of Disney, Bob Iger, and said, this movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no way around it. It's it's a mess. They're They're trying to do so much of everything. We open with Tony, even bigger celebrity than he was before. He's using the Iron Man armor to his advantage. He's having fun. He is launching the new Stark Expo, which think of the world's right. fear. Well, they make reference to the fact that he is calming tensions in the Middle East or yeah. East-West tensions. It talks about They're, They make reference to the fact that he's out there doing stuff. We don't ever see it. Right. Yeah. Because we barely see it. We, we see very little Iron Man fights in this one. Uh, uh, that's, yeah, that's a, well, I mean, we can get into that, but that is a big point with me, but go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Then as this is all going on, we learn that Tony is slowly dying of palladium poisoning uh, coming from his arc reactor and entering into his bloodstream. So he's he had tried to find a number of solutions and it doesn't seem to be working. So he's kind of hitting his rock bottom. He's partying a little too much. He's giving away pieces of his company to Pepper, who then becomes CEO. All the while, Ivan Vanko, the son of Anton Vanko, who had worked with Howard Stark in developing similar arc reactor technology is pushing for his revenge against, you know, against the sun, against Tony. Sam Rockwell's character, Justin Hammer, he's the CEO of Hammer Industries, a rival to Stark Industries, again, a weapons manufacturer. He previously had run contracts with the DOD and, and Justice Department and, and Pentagon and all that. Lost the contract. Now he's out for revenge on Tony as well and wants to take those contracts back. So he begins to employ Vanko, giving him the tools and the, the resources to start building weapons and building similar Iron Man drones. And it all ends up in a big robot on robot fight like we see in the first Iron Man. And yeah, that's that's the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so right off the bat, there are there are no you're talking about the scene when Whiplash shows up at the Monte Carlo race. Yep. And they f and he cuts off the car and, and what have you. Then there's the drunken fight, which I I've never liked. I've never liked the drunken fight as being like a set piece. No. And then you have the final, the ending. Now ending kind of starts at about a half hour, and they have the final fight. Yeah. Okay. That final fight. If you set that final fight alone, that fight's fine. It's a really entertaining fight. Sure. They, they go all through New York. It's it's a fun scene. That should be part of the Iron Man two movie. Yeah. The the drunken fight is if you want to put it in there, fine. And then the whiplash scene to introduce that character, fine. But you have nothing else going on. And this is an action movie. This is supposed to be a superhero movie. And it feels at times like a drama. Now, I'm, now, I'm not saying that that's the, the, the most terrible thing in the world. Right. But it's not very compelling. And I think that part of the reason why that is, they're starting to put in the stuff with S.H.I.E.L.D. It just seems to take away from the story of Iron Man 2. If yes. Whatever it is. Whatever the story right. is. And to the point where... I had in my notes that Favreau had a problem with a lot of the you know mm -hmm. Marvel higher ups saying you know they just kept interfering and kept giving notes, giving notes, giving us that he turned down Iron Man three. I mean, I'm sure it was amicable. He was just like, listen, I'm just gonna yeah. take a step back. I'll still be Happy Hogan throughout the entire thing because obviously he's still around. I'm, I think he's still listed as a producer. I would assume. On, so. I mean, why on, not? You, you were one of the first. You right. were the, one of the first ones that brought this. The Godfather, right. you know, essentially of, of a lot of this. So, you know, by all means, do yeah, that. I turned down that money. I get that. Yeah. 
So I found this really rather generous review on Medium uh, by a guy named Josh Potter. He's the managing editor at comicsyears.com and, and we'll link to it uh, in the descriptions and everything. But he says that Iron Man 2 did exactly what it needed to do and that's expand the universe, which that was set up in Iron Man 1 and Incredible Hulk, set up the next film, which is Thor. And we see a lot of references to that with Coulson going to the Southwest yeah. corridor, you know, post credit scene, the post credit yeah. scene. But again, even, even throughout the, the uh, plot of this, you see Coulson pop up. He's like, Oh, I got to go to the, uh, to New Mexico, to New Mexico, yeah. the land of land of opportunity. <laughs> um, and then finally build its own standalone narrative. Do you think it does all of that? Do you think it does any of that? I think that that's not the movie's goal. Okay. I don't think that's the main, that shouldn't be the main goal of the movie. Yeah, sure. You get, yeah. you get the, I'm sure people were super excited when he, they see Thor's hammer at the end of the movie, but I'm not there for the post credit scene. Right. I'm supposed to be there to see the story of Tony Stark. So I, I understand it, this whole concept of world building, which has developed from the MCU and moving and everything because Jurassic world, all yeah. that stuff, um, even star Wars. Now the whole concept of world building, I like it. I, I do like it, but world building cannot be ahead of telling the story. You're, you're sitting in front of the computer telling. Yeah. So if you're going to if you're going to put stuff in there that's going to pull away from Iron Man 2, you, you you can like the fact that, hey, it sets up all this stuff. That's great. But you can't like you can't say that the movie that's the movie's goal. That's not the movie's goal. The movie's goal is to tell the story of yeah. Tony Stark and it doesn't do it well here. Right. Do you agree with with what he's saying? No, I, I agree that if we look back and Iron Man 1 was a success. Mm -hmm. Incredible Hulk, not so much. We talked about that last week as a requel. You know, where it was That's that right. reboot yep. sequel. Yep. It, it doesn't even, it still doesn't even fit in and had that ad hoc stinger at the end of it. Mm -hmm. This one was not necessarily make or break, but it had to do a lot more if it wanted to drive home that, that idea of a shared universe. Right. I don't think the story works at all. I think there are moments of the story that work. I think there's pieces of it, but I don't think it, I don't think as a standalone film, it, it works. I, I, I agree with that. I think as yeah. an Avengers, Point five. It's right. That's that's what this does. If this was a compendium piece or like a six episode series on, let's say Disney Plus was back or was around yeah. back then, if they did something to just, we don't have enough for Iron Man two, but here's Iron Man's story continuation fills the gaps sure. between before Avengers. Right. Yeah, but this works. Right. Uh, I, some well, of the stuff would be f probably fleshed out even more. Oh, true. Yeah. Well, I will say that when they do set up the father son theme between Howard Stark and and Tony mm -hmm. Stark here that carries through to end game. Yes. So you do kind of see now you meet Slatter, you kind of like how he's talking to Tony and the, when the reel mm -hmm. goes and stuff like that and telling him this is for you. I don't really know if I buy the concept that the entire model is the key to a new <laughs> element and they don't, <laughs> and I gotta be honest. I mean, I, I don't even know how he figured it out. So, Move the trees, do the, he's like just <laughs> take talking. The, take the foliage and hot dog stands. I don't out. know what he's. I don't know what he's saying. And I read like what he was doing when he was making the element. I uh, I don't know. I yeah. it, it was a little bit like okay, I'll buy it. You're making a new element to save you. Okay, go ahead. You know, listen. He built a suit in a cave with a box of scraps. <laughs> no, I don't doubt his genius. <laughs> I also will say that it it the opening when he comes in and he flies in and he lands and they're doing welcome to Stark Expo yeah. and that stuff. It felt like the beginning of the, the superhero celebrity taking yep. shape, kind of like that world that it's also carried through to Spider-Man, mm -hmm. you know, just that, you know, like these, everyone loves these guys. Everyone has their toys yeah. and it's, it's almost alternate reality kind of thing. You know, that might be one of the differing pieces between this and, and the DC extended universe where it makes these characters a little bit more likable. Sure. Where they, they're existing 
in this real world with us and they're they're taking full advantage of them being you know celebrities signing autographs he's coming down the stairs like he's at a concert right surrounded by fans yeah. and groupies and whatever i really enjoy that opening when he flies in when he flies in yeah i have a lot of fun with it well they're, they're they also have the music that they're trying to match with the first movie yes. with the rock music and he's coming out no i get that i yeah. he does also have the good meta line of it's good to be back yeah because it has been two years before we've seen anything and then he comes right. in and oh, it's good to be back and then they you talk know? about that line that uh don Cheadle has when he comes into the senate yeah. committee and he's just like i'm here get over it you know mm-hmm. kind of like supposed to be like telling everybody else like you know listen i'm playing the character now right knock it off yeah well they you know and they they do the reveal it's like oh we're we call uh, colonel james rhodes yeah and he starts walking in with his you know back to us for a while and it's like yeah we <laughs> okay we got it now exactly we know this movie's a mess yes. and, and there's a lot we got to get to with the comics and the movies but what did you like about it well the father-son theme that yep. i said um and that's it no uh <laughs> <laughs> let's see i liked sam rockwell mm-hmm. I, I i like sam rockwell in general yeah his justin hammer is really good and i'm surprised you never see him again yeah, I had the same. So and in terms of, in terms of moving on the other movies, and stuff it, like right? That, no, yeah. deeper into the the continuity and then the cinematic universe. So I uh, I have him on my notes. I have five things I like about this movie. Right, Sam me. Rockwell being three of them. <laughs> Sam Rockwell, <laughs> Sam Rockwell, and Sam Rockwell. The other one was the opening with Venko building his suit that married Tony in the cave with when they had the um, press the, conference with the press conference. Yes. Yeah, he's okay. got all the yep. images yep. Of, of Tony in the covers of the magazines. I really enjoyed how they did that. That's the last thing I enjoy about Venko. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like his bird. No, I didn't like his bird. And then the other piece just, and then we'll get back to Sam Rockwell in a second and, and Justin Hammer love Tony's vulnerable side in this Robert Downey Jr.'s, you know, he plays vulnerable really well. And we see that not only in this one, we see it in Avengers two. We see it in Endgame where he's he's afraid of dying. Sure. And, you know, for various reasons at various points in his life. But he plays this one. I like I, I always forget that he, you know, he does have a, a few great moments of acting. Well, he's a really he's good a, actor. He is. <laughs> yeah, I just I remember this movie being a mess. and I'm like, oh, man. But then when I watch him, I'm I'm excited to see how he does that. I think that they've been blessed with putting people in roles when you move forward, Chris Evans, as Captain America mm-hmm. and Chris Hemsworth as a uh, Thor and in the main roles, they have been people who have chops who can't act. They're yeah. not just pretty faces. And, you know, so they do have that luxury of, of having people to pull back on, mm-hmm. you know, on some, obviously some, some talent there. So yes, absolutely. Um, but then back to Justin Hammer's character. Yeah. Like we never see him again. Mm-hmm. I, you know, maybe he'll show up in the next Spider-Man movie. Well, I don't yeah, know why like, he's never, he gets around. arrested, but he's a rich guy. Who's the CEO. He's going to be out on bail. Sure, he probably he probably is still walking around. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, even if he goes to prison, it's probably what the he gets the Paul Manafort sentence. He's, which here, is here's the thing: he's not three years, well, four years. He's not really. Would he really get in trouble? All he did was he can't prove that he faked Vanko's death. You know what I mean? Right. And he's dead now, so he could just say, "I don't know who this guy was. I I, I hired somebody to build me these um, robots and yeah. these drones, and and look what happened." He could just please play dumb yeah yeah he didn't, didn't get fined and get you know and he's he's got enough connections in the senate 
because clearly they don't like Tony Stark. So, right. And as we don't know this at the time, they reveal this later, but Senator Stern is obviously uh Hydra. He is. So, so, I mean, why wouldn't, why wouldn't Justin Hammer get off? Like, yeah, no, I, where was yeah. he? Why isn't he not back? I'm, I'm a little <laughs> We need more Sam Rockwell. <laughs> of everything we need in the MCU, it's more Sam Rockwell. <laughs> Speaking of the Hammer drones, did you get a Sentinel vibe from the Hammer drones, like from X-Men? A little bit. Yeah. That they're, you know, controlled, that they're, you know, setting it robots able to but they're not totally i mean they are being controlled by a master right organization about master computer which again goes back to the sentinel robots Mm -hmm. too yeah a little bit okay i know that's delving into probably well i mean i'm getting i'm getting the vibe from like when they show them at the white house lawn on x-men days of future past yes yeah where they're getting weapon weapon by the government which that is, you know, as good as Sam Rockwell is in this whole movie. I love that scene where he's introducing the army, the navy, oh, yeah, the yeah, music plan. Yeah. Where he's got the music playing. He's got all the the robots for each and every different um, branch of the military. Right. And yeah, you know, and this again is science. A lot of ways, technology. T- a lot of ways ties many of the MCU films together mm-hmm. as you know, building weapons for the government, building weapons against foreign yeah. countries. Yeah, America doesn't have a gun problem. Like when he goes in, when he's going to make War Machine and he's like, okay, what do we got? Here we go. And he's just like doing this gun show and he's like, oh, you want this? You don't want this. I'm like, what? What, what is this? We got the, the Beretta. We got the minigun. Yeah. I called this the ex-wife. And I know it doesn't work at the end. Like it's supposed to be a joke. Yeah. But he's, he's shooting a bunker missile. That, that You're not supposed to be there. He's shooting a bunker missile. Five feet from him. In Queens. <laughs> I know. Does he not know what's going to happen? I like, mean, you're a decorated general, aren't right. you? <laughs> colonel. He's a colonel. colonel. Whatever. That's why he didn't make the general. It's not even the real roads. <laughs> <laughs> that scene comes out of nowhere. Like Justin Hammer, we've we've set him up as like this like bad guy who's got Vanco and he's building these drones. <laughs> and then he just shows up because he stole Tony's suit or took Tony's suit right. and like build it up. And I'm like, now you're building Wait. war machine. So you're Wait. good. Hammer had lost the contract. I don't understand. And I then they called that. him back yeah, and was I, like, hey, uh, uh, we need you to outfit this suit of armor for uh, us. Yeah, there, there's listen, there are tons of inconsistencies <laughs> in terms of storytelling in this movie. And I'm sure that has to do with like we talked about the executives kind of like giving notes and giving yeah. notes. It's, it's always going to affect it. But here's one other thing that I wanted to ask you. So Whiplash where Vanko, he, yeah, they never call him Whiplash, but that's who no. he is. Right. Okay. He goes to Monte Carlo mm-hmm. to cause a scene. Yes. Basically. And Tony's in the car. He cut, stops the car off. And then he's like, he tells me like, you think I failed? You know, now everyone sees that you're not God. You can bleed. That, that, mm-hmm. that was his whole plan all right. the whole time. But that plan would hinge upon the fact that he knew that Tony at the last minute was going <laughs> to jump in his car and drive. And he didn't know that. I think I'm going to defend this for a second. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Try. <laughs> I don't think it matters that I think he, all he had to know was that Tony was in Monte Carlo watching the races. Okay. If he walked out onto the, the if track. he walked out onto the track and he started using his whips to cut through various cars, at some point Tony was going to interfere in his Iron Man suit. He was expecting Iron Man to be. He was there. expecting Tony and Iron Man to interfere. He didn't maybe necessarily need Tony to be in the cars. Sure. Okay. But he has very good eyesight apparently for. Knowing which car Tony's in, mm-hmm. slicing through it mm-hmm. at 200 miles an hour. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, when he starts cutting up the car that Hogan's in, and yeah. like he, he's not even like hitting them. It's like, no. just go right down the middle. Just, just he's right there, <laughs> right down the middle of the driver's side. You got both of them right there. <laughs> You're just slicing stuff in half. Slice off yeah. 
in in a finely cut off the the side of the car. Right. I ha- I hate when villains are not good. Yeah. Like like I'm not like I'm saying like if he tried to swing and like Tony hits him and he misses, like that's fine. Yeah. But like if you have a clear shot and you can't hit it, uh, uh, I'm sorry, but you're yeah, not you're yeah. a terrible villain. He's got worse worse <laughs> aim than stormtroopers. <laughs> <laughs> but I will defend the. Maybe he didn't know Tony was going to be in the car, but I think he knew that Tony and Iron Man were going to be at the race because Stark did sponsor a car. That's how Tony was able to. No, I, so I understand that. That's that's all I got. OK, what about the character trait that Tony doesn't like to be handed things? When did that happen? And then disappears after the second movie. No, I think it's in. Later is it? Movies. Tell it is me. in later well, movies. Is it? Because I, I, so. I don't remember that then. I right, we'll have fine. to keep track of it. We'll have to put a note here that Move Tony on. doesn't like being handed things. I think it's. Um, it's not, was it in the first one? It's in the first one. Okay, what I, part in the first one? It's um, somebody's giving him files, I think. Okay. And he doesn't like to be handed those. But what's, um, what's that from? Is that just. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that's. I think that's a Robert Downey Jr. quirk that he brought into it. Okay, okay. He, but he does in person likes to be handed things. We're not saying that that's his like like how Mandel doesn't like to shake because a German. Right, no, I think got, yeah. I think Robert Downey Jr. is. I don't know why I'm fine, talking about how it might have been a quirk. I, I couldn't find anything in the comics. It might have been a quirk that Robert okay. Downey Jr. brought in. We'll have to keep track of that then yeah, moving I, forward. I'm trying to remember what else it's in. I I don't think it stops here. I think it comes back in Iron Man three. Okay, and I think it's in the Avengers movies. Is it? I wonder if it's only when he's not in the suit. Could be. That's interesting because um, I didn't ever, I don't remember that from Iron Man. So, okay. The other thing I want to keep track of as we go through these movies, so there'll be two things I'll okay. have a counter for is, as I was texting this to you last night, but most, wa- uh, the, the most wasted MCU talent. In this movie, we have Kate Mara as the U.S. Marshal. <laughs> right. And then in Captain America, First Avenger, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, is Natalie Dormer, who plays um, uh, just a... Secret Service agent who ends up kissing Steve Rogers uh, before Peggy can. Okay, right. And, and we'll see her, but I think we should con- do continual polls as we go through because they're not the only ones that have these like small cameos that obviously at well, the Well, thank time, God Christine Everhart came back for Iron Man too. Oh, absolutely. Well, she's, I think her and Sam Rockwell together. So I wonder, that's probably part of it. Oh. They're like a couple. Gotcha. Well, at least I think they still are. I don't really follow up on the lo- the love interests of people in Hollywood, but <laughs> okay, yeah, this is, well, that's what I read in the notes that they were together. So you know, I would assume that's probably why she came back. But yeah. when I first saw her, I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> she has to do a spread for Vanity Fair. <laughs> like, uh, I was so uninterested in that <laughs> <The> spread. <laughs> Come on, this is a family podcast. You're about to talk about following the the the. What were you go ahead? Finish your thought. Well, you're talking. You're talking about Natalie Dormer and oh, um, just Kmar. Like at the time when these movies were coming out, they weren't as big. Kmar had been in Shooter. She had been in Jack and Bobby. I want to say that House of Cards was starting because she's in that first she two is. seasons. I think when this first was season. starting to film, I think I thought House of Cards came out around 2012. I can't remember. So this is probably you're right. Yeah, so this, this is, is the beginning. This is the yeah, beginning yeah. of that. So you know, and and you know, obviously she ends up in Fantastic Four, which we're not going to cover. No. <laughs> And then Natalie Dormer's in um, a whole bunch of movies. She's in The Hunger Games, Game of Thrones, stuff like that. Well, I know her from the uh, the Tudor show. In the Tudor show, yeah, which she's really good. But, you know, and they don't know this when they're casting these people, and and you know, it's it's a good way to get a break in a big blockbuster. But it's it's one of those things where they're not able to use them again because they have these appearances here, and you know, you wonder down the line who they could have played and and what kind of role they could have had. Right. But yeah, so just going forward, we'll we'll pop in a poll. <laughs> who's the most wasted and we'll continue to update it as we go through the series you know christine ever heard from vanity fair you guys hi. know each other? hi yes 
Um, she's actually doing a big spread on me for Vanity Fair. Oh. Yeah, okay. So just as a way to kind of, unless you have anything else yeah, you want to, like, just as a way to transition to the differences in the, between this movie and like the comic or the similarities, I wanted to ask you, because I didn't remember this and maybe it changed. When he gets the new element and he puts it in his chest, his obviously his suit changes to mm-hmm. that triangle pattern. Yeah. Is that something that's in the comic? Is that always been that way? It, just explain that to me. And yeah, then so we'll, the we'll segue into all that stuff. The arc reactor, it, it changes depending on the suit that he's wearing. And, and as he's going through, I, I, I kind of want to save that a little bit for Iron Man 3. No, I said now. And that's fine. Okay. <laughs> so it, it well, just gets, tell me, does the triangle pattern in the comic? Have yes. That? Okay. Yes, it is. Has it, it, has it always been like that? No, he okay. has the circle one to start and then okay. eventually switches to the triangle one. And that's part of the extremist armor, okay. which we'll see more sort of it's it's kind of one of the stories that's adapted in iron man 3 okay so it's one of those that you know kind of want to put on the back burner um just because this one has this one also has a lot going on with it but mm-hmm. yes starts with the circle like he starts with the, the big gray hunking suit just trims it down to mm-hmm. you know a slimmer gray suit with a circle and then the red and gold with a circle and so as the character evolves and as the suit evolves and everything he gets more of the triangle one mm-hmm. Um, I actually believe I could be wrong, but the um, the triangle also makes an earlier appearance in the the silver centurion version of the armor. It's just another name, you know. At the time, he's got dozens and dozens of suits, but that one is similar to the design is similar to the suitcase armor okay. that we see in this movie, right? So that's my transition for that. Go day. ahead, go for it. Um, so in the movie, the suitcase armor is the Mark V armor. So some point between Iron Man 1 and, and Iron Man 2, he had built it. More designed as a quick change. Sue, kind of an emergency situation one. It has less weaponry, less capabilities, so he can't get, he can't fly as high, can't mm-hmm. fly as fast. But really, it's just, you know, that makes up for the ease of access that mm-hmm. he has. In the comics, he was able to, he always carried around the suit in suitcases and briefcases. But they were broken up in pieces. So you had the boots in one section and the gloves and the, the chest piece and the, the head, the helmet. This allows him to just kind of step into it, which is I was watching I was watching the animated show while I was prepping for this, too, <laughs> which is the animated show from the 90s. Not great. Um, they have he has a version where it's, a, it's in a suitcase, in a briefcase, and it folds upwards. And then he's able to step right into it okay. and then it closes behind him. So that's, you know, a little bit more of a, a comparison, I guess, to the, that, that quick change. Again, the, you know, like I said, the, the color scheme, the, the red and silver, more similar to the silver Centaurian. It's just inversed. Mm-hmm. So where this has the, the silver chest and the red kind of arms, uh, you'd flip it on that other version, which uh, the Centaurian armor does make an appearance in Iron Man 3, but briefly mm-hmm. it, um, it pops up, but then is is blown up as a result of the, the clean slate. Right. That he does at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So I had two references to the stories being based upon several comics. So mm-hmm. I had one where the film storyline where Stark kind of coping with government interference, his midlife crisis, depression, alcoholism, hammer trying to ruin him yep. was inspired by the demon in the bottle comic. Yes. And then I have another one that says the plot resembles the storyline of armor wars Two. It, which is more accurate, I guess, or is they both accurate? They're both accurate. Okay. Um, so Demon and Bottle is probably the most famous Iron Man story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it certainly has the most famous cover, I would say. 
where it's Tony looking into a mirror. He's got the Iron Man chest piece peeking out of his shirt. He's all haggard, unshaven. He got a bottle of, of some type of booze right near him, a, a glass tipped over. He looks like a wreck. Um, so that's probably one of the most famous iconography of, of the Iron Man character. So the Iron Man armor begins to malfunction. It's later learned that it's being taken over due to this malfunction, due to this, this control. He actually kills a U.S. ambassador. And so the government you know, wants to understand what's going on. They, they try to arrest him, but they know they can't take him on. So while this is happening, Tony begins to, to drink more heavily. Drinking was always part of the character. You know, we see that in the first movie, we see that in, in this movie. But, you know, he starts to binge and binge and binge. At the same time, he starts fighting a number of his, his old familiar villains. A lot of them are using armor technology or, or similar, you know, similar technology. He overhears them say, Hammer wants him alive. So eventually, Tony and Rhodey head out to Monaco. So that's, you know, pulled from this. From comic. Demon in a Bottle? Yes. Okay. They learn about Justin Hammer and they learn about how his influence, you know, in it, on his attacks and, and on his suit and everything. Of course, Tony defeats him. But as a result, you know, eventually he starts drinking even more and mm-hmm. more. And, and he really does hit rock bottom, eventually causing him to uh, lash out at Jarvis and fire him um, because of, you know, how he was affected. In the, in the comic, Jarvis in the, is in the butler, comic, right? Jarvis is the this, butler. Yeah, he's not the robot right, AI right. Uh, piece that he has so he like he fires Jarvis they get into a fight um, and, and eventually Tony comes out of it and, and he starts dealing with it the alcoholism is is a continual theme that that shows up you know he's never never wins he never beats it just like any alcoholic they're constantly fighting with it day in and day out that's throughout the comic series even when they update it that's always part of his yeah. character but, but in the movie that kind of fades away it kind of fades yeah. away like you see him in Avengers where he's uh, when Loki is in Avengers, you know, in Stark Tower, mm-hmm. he's like, hey, do you want to drink? And then they see him at the party in Avengers 2 where he's drinking. So it's never one where he's like, I'm giving up alcohol. I don't think I don't think he's ever. Uh, I think but, they never say he's abusive. Yeah, they never they say, say he's abusive. social. Um, so that was kind of a simplistic take on no, the sure. comic. It's I think it's eight or nine issues. Um, you could get it collected now and. and It'll be in our recommended reading, but both Justin Theroux and then later Shane Black for Iron Man three wanted to like do a more straight adaptation of it. Mm-hmm. And first Marvel was, you know, Marvel was hesitant and said no. And then Disney was hesitant and said no operating for more of a PG 13 fair. And I know we harp on, you know, studio interference mm-hmm. and, and studio, you know, making sure that it has the broadest possible audience, but, this is a storyline that took maybe 10, 12 years to really kick off. And it was built upon a ton of back issues and, and just story and mythology of the character that I don't think you could have jumped into it in the second or, or even the third film mm-hmm. and done it properly. Well, you'd have to you'd have to have him spiral and it would have to yeah. it would affect now that because his he only makes Iron Man only has three solo movies. Right. And then he pops into the Avengers. You would his spiraling would affect the entire Avengers series. Yeah. And you're not going to have that. Plus, you know, when you, I mean, there is some. There is always going to be some kind of emotional change to a character when they're introduced to this. There's other people in the world. There's other beings in this right. in this galaxy. You know, so I, I understand not having it in there. And I think that the the 
to go back to the movie real quick, the drunken fight is probably to, just to kind of reference that a yeah. little. I think they say it's a, one one note said like it's an homage to his alcoholism. It's like an homage. <laughs> How do you homage alcoholism? Yeah, you're using the word wrong. <laughs> it's not a good. Yeah. Not, remember, not good there. Remember when he was a drunk? <laughs> that's that's not good. Don't that, 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 that whoever wrote that is wrong. <laughs> but uh, I so yeah, I, I understand not using it for the series and for the whole yeah. because you just it you that's not you're not making Joker. You know what I mean? Right. So maybe they will one day make a Joker like for Iron Man, but you're not doing it now. So yeah, I hear you. All right. Um, Um, What else did you have? Yeah. So, and then we'll jump into Armor War, but just, you know, there's something I need to to get out right away, which (laughs) is so many of the Iron Man stories revolve around the villain trying to a take the designs and reuse the designs of the Iron Man suits for their own illicit purposes. Right. Or B, take over Stark Industries, Stark Enterprises, take okay. over Tony's company, or both. And that's, you know, that's what we start to see in, in both of these stories and what we see in the movie, too, where, you know, they gain access to the Mark II, the silver suit uh, that, that Rhodey brings. And, and then they're able to, you know, Whiplash, Ivan Vanko is able to use that and, and create more functioning robots and, and take control of the war machine armor wars there's actually there's multiple series there's there's armor i'm gonna touch on armor armor more ah. armor wars two armor i'm gonna touch on armor armor wars one and two Ooh. uh for now i'm just gonna call them aw1 and aw2 because apparently i can't speak um there's not really much that ties them together aside from the name um and they they both belong in um iron man's first volume one of his his long-running self-titled series Armor War, Armor AM, AW, <laughs> AW1. So Tony starts to learn that a lot of his Iron Man designs have been stolen. So he he begins to track down a lot of the villains that have utilized um, various armors and just to see what's what's happening. And he finds out that Justin Hammer had acquired the designs and is selling armors to various villains. At the same time, it also involves Nick Fury asking Tony to hand over the Iron Man suit to shield to, to the government. And then, you know, there's, there's moments in it where Iron Man and, and Tony are, are thinking about only the crises that, that Iron Man can handle and, and why the world needs Iron Man. So you see that, you know, we were talking about the peace in the middle East and, and stuff that Tony opens the film with, but that's, that's a lot where some of that influence comes from where, you know, there's, there's crisis that only Iron Man can, can deal with. And then in AW2, uh, Tony's faced with a villain named Kirsten DeWitt. Uh, he's able to attack Tony's nervous system using computer chips. Uh, and, it, and it plagues Tony for a number of, of issues and, until he's able to finally you know, deal with it and, and take on the villain. But the villain is, is so overpowered that Tony needs some backup. And this is when Rhodey dons the Iron Man suit for the first time. So he dons the red and gold suit. Uh, he actually becomes Iron Man for two years prior to uh, becoming War Machine. Do they know that he's Iron Man or do they think it's Tony Stark? I think it's more they don't. Tony had done a good job of trying to hide his identity. Oh, at the time. Okay. so it wasn't like he came out right away and said, hey, I'm. Oh, right. That's I'm right. Iron There's Man. that difference. Right. OK. Yeah. Apologies. I mean, in the, in this fight, you see two people in the Iron Man suit. Tony okay. had Tony had come up with false identities that he gave to Nick Fury and said, this is who Iron Man really is. Iron Man at the time was working as like a spokesperson for Stark Industries. So we, we kind of see a bit of that, like 
like and yeah. that's you know when he pops into the stark expo and, and i gotcha yeah so it's you know none of these things are going to be straight adaptations they're going to pick not. and pull from from where they want to um but those are those are the two main stories okay that they that they utilize so in the movie, he jokes about at the Senate hearing that, hey, if you want to make him Secretary of Defense, that's great. But yeah. in the comics, I guess he was appointed Secretary he was. of Defense at some yeah, point. Yeah, in the, in the early 2000s, uh, he did hold the position of Secretary of Defense. He also holds the, um, he also becomes Director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Okay. Um, following the superhero Civil War, which was around 2008, 2009. So he becomes Nick Fury's boss? He becomes Nick Fury. Nick okay. Fury is, is out. Uh, he becomes Nick Fury. Oh, okay. Yeah. Does he wear the eye patch? He does not wear the eye patch. <laughs> So they had, I, I, I guess, Pepper becoming CEO was mm-hmm. in the comic as well. It was. Okay. Yeah. So there was a couple of times where she becomes CEO. It's, it's more of a weird, like in this movie, you know, Tony's doing obviously to prepare for his death and, and he might not be there. And he, he truly, it seems like he truly does believe that Pepper can handle the role as CEO of, of Stark. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, that's a big jump and I'm. Because she's his assistant. Because she's yeah. his assistant and, and nothing against Pepper. It's more, you know, again, he, unless he took the company private following the events. I don't of, think, I don't think he could doubt that. Unless he, I mean, he, you can, if you own most of the, the majority of the, the stake of so it. So you, you don't have any more st- uh, stockholders and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, so you don't have to go to the board uh, because that was a, you know. A and they line. never bring it up in this movie. So they never maybe, do. He yeah. says something like, I looked at all the guidelines and says, I have no problem naming a successor. Mm-hmm. Which is true, but you usually need board approval That's for a that. Throwaway line. It's a throwaway line. That's a throwaway line. line. Yeah. line. Anyway, we're we're diving too deep into that. <laughs> she uh, she actually gets named CEO before Obadiah Stane takes over in the comics. Okay, uh, because uh, Tony was going through problems. He was going through. Uh, he was he was trying to come back from you know hitting that rock bottom, and the idea was that you know she would be allowed to shut down the company without letting Stane take over. Doesn't quite happen. Same thing with when Tony is named director of S.H.I.E.L.D. following the Civil War. He names Pepper CEO of Stark. She's tasked with not with also shutting down the company here and not allowing Norman Osborn, old time Spider-Man villain mm-hmm. who had become the Iron Patriot, who will you know, we'll touch on more in Iron Man 3, to gain access to Iron Man files. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't doesn't always work that way. And, and he did again. A lot of these comics are about people gaining access to the same. They're designs. the same. I got. They're all similar yeah. yeah. storylines. I get you. So the being poisoned by the suit was a reference to the 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 Mark sixteen. Is that right? In I, the comics, I read that they pull from a lot of different sources yeah. to just kind of make this story. Yeah, whether good or bad, they just do that. So because I have stuff, there's a character that's not even in the that's from the comic, Rumiko Fujikawa. Yeah, so, she, that so was, she was cast in this movie, and they cut her. She wasn't they didn't shoot any scenes, but they had actually casted her oh, role, they? and they cut her. But she's is she's part of Stark Industries in the yeah. Comic? She was the daughter of a businessman who had acquired slash partnered with Stark Industries, mm-hmm. uh, the Fujikawa company. Uh, Tony and, and Rumiko had you know dated for a while, oh, okay. as, as Tony does with women in comics. Seriously, <laughs> and in <laughs> the movie, he also dates Black Widow in the comics. So you know, oh, interesting. Have at it as you will. Um, she found him to become too obsessed with his work, mm-hmm. which is also kind of a, a storyline we see in Iron Man 3 mm-hmm. where, you know, Pepper, that's why a lot of the Pepper Tony uh, conflict comes from is he's too busy tinkering with his stuff. Um, I don't know how much they could have fit her in in this one. I mean, it, it is a two hour movie. It mm-hmm. feels longer. 
it's I mean I don't know if that would have been I more of they, a glorified so, cameo. Well, to you throw also her in there. right, and we'll get to a, a little bit the MCU stuff in terms of its uh, place in the in the in the yeah. MCU. We'll get to all that. But my last note about the comics, if you have more, that's fine. But my last note about the differences or whatever is the Ivan Vanko character, the Whiplash character. Yeah. So he's not actually he's a combo. He's not he's supposed to be somebody Whiplash and Crimson Dynamo. I wasn't really. I was confused as to who was what. Yeah, so they they change both villains in this movie from their their comic counterparts. One for the better, I think, and then one for maybe not the worse, but you know they they change it a lot. Mm-hmm. So Whiplash, aka Blacklash, uh, aka Mark Scarlatti, is a weapons engineer originally for the mafia. Is, is this weird like purple clad Zorro? <laughs> I, I don't know how else to describe him. So he was actually using a whip made of adamantium, one of the, the strongest uh, metals and minerals in the MCU. It's the, the mineral that forms Wolverine's claws or metal claws. Um, so, you know, he was Whiplash. Then later he became Black Blacklash. Um, but this character in the movie owes more to Crimson Dynamo, who was originally the first Dynamo was Anton Vanko, mm-hmm. who is, is his father. Ivan Vanko's father. Right. There have actually been 10 or more than 10 individuals to wear the crimson dynamo armor. Okay. So essentially the suits, a big hulking ironmonger-esque suit, like we see in the comics where it's, it's red, it's got a big star on it. You know, it's, it's a Russian Iron Man, basically. Mm-hmm. Why they did it this way, I don't know. I think, I think Whiplash has a more dynamic name to it. It, it provides a little bit more of a, you know, he's, you have the, the whip weapons that, that kind of mix up some of the fights a little bit than it would if it was Iron Man versus Iron Monger 2.0 mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Again, like you said, they never call him Whiplash. But no, I think they, they don't. Do. They never call him anything. I think they do in the, the like, if you go look at the credits, it says uh, Ivan Vanko slash Whiplash. The funny thing about Anton Vanko is he was a villain at first. He was a Russian, you know, operative. He switches sides and starts working with Tony. Eventually, he dies, and mm-hmm. and somebody else takes over the Crimson Dynamo name. But that's that's really the story there. Uh, the only thing I think about when I hear Crimson Dynamo is two things. I think of the Running Man movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger because there's a character in there called Dynamo who's terrible, <laughs> and, I, and I think of Incredibles with the the Dynamo is one of the bad guy, one of the. Uh, superheroes like, he went, went, with, with the, the capes, capes. Yeah, yeah with the no capes, capes. <laughs> so I, I always think of those two good or bad that's yeah. why I think of that okay so do you have any other uh, just notes? Justin Hammer go ahead go we, for it you know we love Sam Rockwell so we're gonna <laughs> give him so in the comics you know we, we talked about some of the uh, armor wars and um, demon and bottle plot lines where he's a weapons designer he's always trying to take over Stark Industries trying to win contracts back originally the character is more of a, a He's an older British gentleman. He's working for the mafia. He's developing. He's a, a weapons designer, weapons um, arms dealer. And while they kept some of that, I like how they they de-aged him a bit and made him more of a Tony rival. Yeah. Where, you know, they, you could see them going to school together. You could see them being, you know, Tony always winning. Tony always beating Justin out where he's trying to maybe mimic a lot of that flamboyancy, a lot of that, you know, uh, funness that, mm-hmm. that Tony to Tony comes naturally. And I think, I mean, I, we know Sam Rockwell does a great job, but again, I was watching the animated show and I just need <laughs> to give you Justin Hammer's t- um, tagline. Go for it. When something needs fixing, put a hammer to work. Oh boy. Does he say that in the movie? I don't think he says that in the movie. 
I remember somebody saying, give him a hammer or something uh, or maybe hammer him or something like that. Maybe they're, they're coming close he, to no, it. He says something. Um, he has a, he says something to start off the expo. He has a line and it doesn't, no one laughs. And he's like, all right, but take the podium out of here. I can't oh, maybe remember. It maybe, and maybe that is it then. Maybe, I think he does say something to that effect because then nobody laughs. Like, get the podium <laughs> out of here. Um, but to your point about him being a rival, him going over Tony, they kind of repeat that and we'll get to it. They kind of repeat that in Iron Man 3 with yes. Guy Pierce's character. Yeah. And um, also, it's that's very similar to what I keep seeing in the Wonder Woman trailer. But anyways, we'll, uh, the new one, the Wonder Woman 84. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyways, that's that's a different series. That's a that's a yeah. whole different character that I could tell you right. about. Oh, I wish I wish I knew what he said. I really think he does say something like we could, that. We can look it up. Eh, we're done. We're past yeah. that. Ladies and gentlemen, for far too long, this country has had to place its brave men and women in harm's way. But then the Iron Man arrived, and we thought the days of losing lives were behind us. Sadly, that technology was kept out of reach. That's not fair. That's not right. And it's just too bad. Regardless, it was an impressive innovation, one that grabbed headlines the world over. Well, today, my friends, the press is faced with quite a different problem. They are about to run out of ink. So like I said, when we first started, this is the first movie that kind of starts the world building of the MCU mm-hmm. and just starts kind of like in putting stuff in there that sometimes to the detriment of the story and to the detriment of the people working there. I guess where I want to start off is the introduction of you meet Natasha Romanoff or yes. Natalie. Well, I don't remember what her Rushman. name. Yeah. In this movie. And she's people know her obviously as Black Widow moving forward and people watching this movie probably recognize, oh my God, that's Black Widow. Yeah. When she starts, she has that huge hallway fight scene. Which basically intros her. And I would say that that probably intros you into seeing another person, another, like kind of like when they combo superheroes now yes. in the Marvel movies, that, that intros you to that kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Do you think they pull that off? You think, okay, let's, let me ask this what works, what doesn't work in this, like in terms of setting up everything? Okay. I think there's too much Nick Fury in this. Okay. Which and, he wanted though, because right. Jackson wasn't going to come back. They were negotiating his contract and then. Right before they did this movie, he signed like a nine picture deal. Yes. So, but he he wanted more screen time. Yeah. But go ahead. I think there's too much Coulson trying to set up Thor. Mm-hmm. I think I, I, you know, a lot of which was, oh, we're dealing with stuff in the Southwest Corridor. We're, you know, I got to go to New Mexico, Land of Opportunity. Like, how many times did they say make the Land of Opportunity joke? Yeah. Just do a phone call at the end of the movie. Yeah. And that's that's it. Yeah. Um, I think they I think they tried too hard to set up Thor. Mm-hmm. You know, you, if this movie works, people are in the tag at the end. That's all you really needed to get people excited for Thor. I think the introduction of Black Widow works a lot. You know, she's an operative with S.H.I.E.L.D. working undercover. I find it weird the way that she comes into the Randy's Donuts, though, in her full S.H.I.E.L.D. regalia. Yeah, and she talks about how the, everything's been... Uh, the, the perimeter's locked down, but she's in her, like, cat suit. She's got her, you know, gun in... In the right. holster, it's like, okay, but like... That's only to have... To- that's totally only so you can that, know right. like who she is and what she does. But like, you know, when we see her in later movies and she's in more civilian clothes, something like that would have fit a little bit better, I think. Like, I'm always thrown off by her walking in in that suit in broad daylight if S.H.I.E.L.D. is supposed to be this clandestine organization. Um, the other thing, 
So Emily Blunt was originally cast I as, yep. well, originally, was the original choice to play. She was going to do it. Yeah. And then she had Gulliver's Travels. Um, she's, I'm sure she's doing fine. <laughs> yeah, she's, she'll get over it. But they've been trying to get Emily Blunt into the MCU for years and years with uh, Captain Marvel, with Black Widow. How do you think that would have changed the character if, it, if they went with Blunt? I don't know, because I know that Scarlett Johansson really wanted to play Black Widow yeah. to the point where she was training before the six weeks or six months before this movie mm-hmm. and during the movie. So I, she really wanted the role. So I think that it's her role now. Yeah. And I don't know. I can't even see Emily Blunt as Captain Marvel no. now that Brie Larson's the, the the character. So I guess it's meant to be kind of thing. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, they're trying to get Keanu Reeves in it. He is in it. In the he's going to be in the uh, um, uh, uh, the Eternals. Oh, okay, I know yeah. they've been trying for a while to get him. Listen, can't they just leave John Wick alone? <laughs> he's got people to kill. I think he's that's gonna, his Marvel. I movie. think he's going to kill some people. That's his MCU movie. I think he's going to kill some people in the Eternals. Oh, is he the bad guy? I don't know if he's the bad guy, but there uh, we'll get to that that's later fine. on. That's a that's a whole that's a whole other thing. I but, just want more John Wicks. That's all I want. I know this is an MCU podcast, but I just want more John Wicks. <laughs> I don't care if he's 80 and he's doing John Wick. Can we, can we bring Sam Rockwell into more John Wicks? That's fine. That's fine win. too. Listen, he, I don't care. I just want John Wicks. <laughs> Welcome to yet another John Wick <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, so I think they I think that the hallway fight scene with with Black Widow was great. I think that was a good introduction of her skill set. And even early on when they're boxing in the ring and she takes oh, down yeah, Happy. It was, yeah. it was predictable because you kind of had a you, sense you that, that was coming, you knew that yeah. was coming. But, you know, she's playing the the mysterious pretty well. Um, her background's kind of clouded and, and, you know, he's fine. Tony's finding her resume and everything. Mm-hmm. Nothing's popping up. Um, well, clearly that resume is faked. Right. Obviously. Yeah. But it's, you know, I, I do like aside from that one scene in the, the donut place where she's wearing her suit. Mm-hmm. But that was you know necessary, I guess. Um, I think the rest of her introduction works really well. Right. Did you like when he's building the device to make the element when he has the Captain America shield and what's this and that whole stuff and when he grabs a crate that says Project Pegasus and it's supposed to be a Captain Marvel. I like the the reason I, I like the the shield scene now is because Coulson's the one that picks it up. Okay. And we know he's such a big fanboy of Captain America. So he's kind of like, what is you know, yeah. why are you, you know, why are you using this this shield? It's it's fantastic, which it was a you know, allegedly it's a prototype for a new type of shield. Right. But yeah. I, I like that, that Coulson was the one who was like offended by the fact that it was there because <laughs> we know how big of a, a Captain America fan he is. So, right. you know, that's, that's a little Easter egg one. I know there were a couple Easter eggs with, um, a lot of the screens behind at the end, at the end, yeah. or, you know, it might be Namor, it might be Wakanda. Yeah. And they had know. the shit. They had the footage of the, uh, campus fight from, from Hulk. Hulk. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's fine. Well, you have to, because like knowing what we know now, right? You you obviously have to know that Fury already knows about Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. and he probably knows about Black Panther already and Wakanda and all that stuff. Yeah, and if if it's not T'Challa, he knows about T'Chaka, his father. Well, it would be his, yeah, it would yeah, be his father, his father at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think there was maybe a little bit too much Coulson, a little bit too much Nick Fury. I like the scene at the end where he's going back and forth, and basically Tony's learning like you know we we like Iron Man, but we don't like Tony Stark, and we need a consultant. That's a good, you know, character building scene for both of them. Mm-hmm. The scene in the donut shop is good, but then I think it maybe goes on a little bit too long with him talking about the origins of Shield. But you have to do that to get to Captain America, though, mm-hmm. to get to the first Avengers. So when we get to Dominic Cooper as Howard Stark, 
we don't have to do a big introduction. We know who he is. We know what he's capable of. You know, we know what type of personality he's going to have. So you could just jump right into it and say, that's Tony's dad. He's going to do some stuff. We already know he's going to do. Let's let him do it. I think a lot of moving forward, I think a lot of the stuff that we talk about in terms of the, this movie's place in the MCU, this movie's what happens in the movie in terms of setting up future movies. Mm-hmm. I think our question is always going to be, where do they do it right? Where do they do yeah. it wrong? Let me ask you this, because I know this is one of the things that drives you absolutely nuts. <laughs> Iron Man 2, we get another disgruntled Stark related villain. Okay. We had Obadiah Stain in Iron Man 1. Yep. We get Aldra Killian in Iron Man 3. Mm-hmm. And we get all of the Spider-Man villains. Do they, does it work? Like, do, do you like, I know, like, why do you hate this so much? What? The disgruntled, the, 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 the disgruntled Stark villains. I just don't, I have, I, I don't know if I've said it on our cast, maybe in first Iron Man, but I just, I view the last Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man far from home as being Iron Man four almost. Yeah. And I, I just, it, you do it once. That's fine. But you keep doing it. It's the same. It's the same storyline. Like I just talked about how you have the you have the Justin Hammer character, but then you have the Guy Pierce character. I can't remember his name in the third movie. You know, it's that's very similar. Yeah. You're, you're just you're just copying storylines. I don't know. It's it's tough. You're doing. I know it's difficult when you're doing all these movies. You're going to repeat yourself. You're you're just going to repeat yeah. yourself. You can't really get around that. And it's your job to make them interesting and to make them more dynamic than the last time. But at the end of the day, and if you don't, that the criticism is going to be, well, you just, you already did this. Right. So like even in this one, even in Iron Man two, the bad guy of whiplash, is not really around a lot. I mean, he's, he shows up and then, He's now he's tasked to build drones and I'm supposed to be he's, he's caught he's stuck in a factory right. with his bird. And I, I don't understand. I don't understand why he's I always remember the line from the Dark Knight when Alfred's telling the story about the guy who just burns the forest. Yeah. And he's like, some people just want to watch the world burn. That is a great line because that just basically tells you, don't think about what the Joker's doing in this movie. Mm-hmm. He just wants to he just wants to cause havoc. Yeah. And that's fantastic because I'm like, all right then, good. I'm on board. You've ex- exactly you've explained it, and I'm good. And plus, Heath Ledger's fantastic as it as Joker. Um, but in this one, you don't ever throw that in there. So there's no. not. I don't know his. He's upset because his father built the arc reactor with Howard Stark, Howard. and then he had him deported. That's what they say in right. there. And, and and obviously, there's other pieces of that story that maybe sure. you yeah. know Samuel Jackson tries to enlighten Tony a little bit more. Yeah. So Tony gets less guilty. I guess. Yeah. They purposely didn't show you Whiplash dying because they wanted maybe wanted to bring him back. Okay. But these Mickey people- Rourke ain't coming back. Oh, well, I know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, but you like we talked about you have the Justin Hammer character, just for the sake of our you have the Anton the Ivan Van Gogh character. Mm-hmm. These characters are still living in this universe now. Right. I mean, what are they doing? I mean, I get it now, like all the threats are off world almost. Right. Yeah. But I would like to see something where the threat is not off world, which is the threat is on world because you have already, you know, you have all these yeah. villains. These guys are doing something. Are they just stealing while you guys are fighting, or uh, you know, outer, outer beings? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd love to see something where they, the MCU goes back to, you know, the Justin hammers or whoever yeah. that they have, they've just completely put aside and see what they're doing. I agree. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I know there's, there's another character aside from Rhodey who had taken up the Iron Man armor, uh, girl named Riri Williams and there had been rumors that she might get a Disney plus show. I'd love to see Justin Hammer be the maybe not necessarily antagonist, mm-hmm. 
but again, the weapons dealer for her antagonists and, and, you know, her villains. So I think that might be a way to bring him back in, not as the main character, but let him be, you know, kind of in the background. Cause now we're talking almost 10 years yeah. after this movie came out. So like, what's, what's Justin Hammer like now? Yeah. Well, I mean, did he get, did he get blipped as they right. say? I mean, like there's all that stuff. It's tough yeah. though. It's tough when you, you've almost built this, like when we talk about it, you almost built this huge giant creature and yeah. it, you can't put it back in the cage anymore. It's like mm-hmm. maybe Disney plus is the best thing for Marvel because be. the more movies we get, the bigger they're going to get. And you know, I don't know where you stop. I mean, at some point I feel like, are they going to flame out? But that's a t- topic. Yeah, that is down the road. I mean, I think a lot of people thought they were going to, you know, flame out with Thor, then with Guardians mm. of the Galaxy and and so on. And, and it just hasn't happened. And, and, you know, I don't necessarily want it to happen. I enjoy these movies. I have oh, you know, sure. fun watching them. We have a good time talking about sure. them, uh, diving into the comics, going, you know, reading up on, on what's going on with them. So, you know, we, we talk about building this big world in this one. You already mentioned that Gary Shandling, Senator Stern is later revealed to be a Hydra agent. Right. I don't know if that was initially planned. I don't know either. Yeah. But I, I love that callback. I love how they did that. I love that they, they that's another character they reintroduce and mm-hmm. we get to see what he's up to four or five years later. There's another moment in this one that I have problems with, which is, and I want to know your opinion on it during the final fight. When Tony is, is fighting and destroying a lot of the drones, you see a little kid. I know in, where you're going in an Iron Man mask. Yeah. And he points his hand up at another drone and then Tony comes and saves him. That has been retconned later on by producers and, and writers that that is Peter Parker. Yeah. The expo takes place in Flushings. It's in Queens. That's Peter's stomping ground. Sure. I don't like when I, I would have preferred if it was just a random kid. Sure. I also don't think the timeline matches up. I think there's some issues there about how old he could have been there versus mm-hmm. how old he is later on. I don't like when, when movie directors, when producers, when writers come out after the fact and I say, that, yeah. this is who this was. This is who this should have been. And this is, you know, they didn't tell that until maybe until Spider-Man gets reintroduced into the MCU. Mm-hmm. So you obviously didn't know that mm-hmm. then you just thought this was a cute little, you know, a, a fun scene. I don't like when they do this you know, I, I, and it's yeah. becoming more and more of a thing, whether it's star Wars, whether it's the finale, you know, the, the final scene of end game, like what's that supposed to mean is like, if it's important enough to be in your movie, let it be in your movie. Yeah. If it's not as important to give this character a name, if he's just kid in Iron Man mask, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But don't try to make him bigger than he is. Yeah. And I agree. It's servicing. It, we talked about it with, well, briefly with star Wars and the whole Ryan Johnson, yeah. uh, JJ Abrams stuff. But yeah, uh, we, I'm, when I say we talked about it, we talked about it off mic. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't, that's servicing fandom. Yeah. And while it's fun to do, it, it's insulting that mm-hmm. like you, I mean, if, if that was, if I went back and looked at the credits and it said Peter Parker and the kid, kid of mass slash Peter Parker, Peter Parker. I'd have been like, all right, yeah, cool. Great. That, that's, that's, oh, cute. Funny. Yeah. All right. Okay, cool. No problem. But no, don't, don't do that. Who, what does that do? What is that supposed to make me geek out? And like, oh, really? Is it supposed to make you feel like, oh, Peter's got a, a heroic bone in his body right. when he's, it's, no. Uh, am I supposed to, is that supposed to make me like Far From Home again more? <laughs> no, because I didn't. But you know what I mean? Like, is that supposed to do that for me? No. Just, uh, why? Why? Why do that? Why bother? I, I understand if like you want to revisit. Like you, like when people when they go back in time mm-hmm. and show stuff, but you didn't see a certain thing. Yeah. Some of that stuff works. That's fine. I mean, I, I'm always gonna love Back to the Future too. So I yeah. love at the end of Back to the Future too when he goes away and he's like, "We did it!" And then Marty comes running around the corner <laughs> like, "Yeah," you know, like that's fun. 
um that's a great time that's a great moment so it you can do it well right this kind of thing no no that was that was fan service those fan service five six years after the fact right right. listen we're all fans and i'm fans of of you know i have fandom for indiana jones and all Mm -hmm. that stuff but don't service me just tell me this tell me (laughs) me a good story right you don't have to do what i love it's fine just 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 tell me the good story and i'll love it anyways and that's the thing and for people that for fans that are always like, and I always tell fans, they should have done this and they should have done that. It's like, well, then go do it. Go, go tell that story. Go yeah. write it. Go make this. Go write it in your book in a fan fiction book and and put it out there. All right. Because if you think it's that good enough to do, mm-hmm. go do it and see what happens. Yeah. Don't stop telling people what, what to tell you your story. Just tell your own story. Right. So, yeah, I agree. And I think there's there's one other piece in that I believe in Homecoming. It might be Homecoming. It might be Far From Home. You see a Stark Expo. Uh, like a flyer or something oh, in his okay. bedroom. Yeah. That's all you need. You don't have to sure. say, yes, he was the kid back then. Yeah. So like, if you want to include that and say, oh yeah, he was there. Great. It doesn't, but doesn't necessarily have to be their role, right? He doesn't right. have to be it a could key be role. His, it could just, it shows you that he's inspired by him. Right. That's fine. Yeah. Why do I, why does it need to be that kind of, there doesn't need to be that kind of, Tony, uh, he's your dad. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, why does, why do I, are we going to just, oh like, man, go now, you're get, now you're getting the spider dad tumbler. I'm <laughs> just saying, like, are we going to go back and then realize that Tony Stark is actually his father and he yeah. didn't die. He wasn't killed. He just faked his own death so that he could become Tony Stark. <laughs> or maybe Tony didn't know because Tony was mind wiped by the, by the Scarlet Witch or whatever. And like, I mean, is that, is that where we're going to go? <laughs> Spider Dad's a real thing. <laughs> uh, come on, really? No. Uh, spider Pig from Simpsons. Oh, I like that. Spider Pig. Um, <laughs> so that was that was the last thing I wanted to to, to ask you about and, and touch on. As far as other MCU connections, I think we hit on on most of them. Yeah. You know, we see Rhodey pop up again as Iron Patriot in Iron Man three, and then as War Machine after the fact. But mm-hmm. you know, we could we could get more into that <laughs> character later on. But well, I think what uh, just a final thought before we break i guess i guess iron man 2 as a as a movie i i think it's it's less than in terms of just itself is a movie i think there's a lot of things missing i think there's a lot of problems mm-hmm. and there's a lot of plot holes and just kind of like we said like you know the pushing of the mcu universe and and setting up shield and all that stuff it kind of hurts the iron yes. man 2 story but i will say that in reference to the the article you brought up i it, it does do its job in setting up the world while that's good you did it to the detriment of your movie. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't matter when you bring in $623 million. So who cares? Right. Like, yeah. You know, Steve made, Jobs says it sucks, but yeah. he's not the intended audience and it right. made Absolutely. a bullet of cash. And it, exactly. And this is when you first started having the fervor for these movies, yep. because when you have the iron, when you see Thor's hammer, that just completely jazzes everybody yeah. up for the next place. So while we can sit here and be critical of certain things, the goal was met. So who yes, was. who cares what we think or who cares what anyone thinks? Exactly. And yeah. I and, and I completely get that. Uh, listen, I know at the end of the day, it's about money. It and is. and you know what? I'm not a I'm not a fool. So I can I get it. <laughs> I completely get it. So congratulations. <laughs> but yeah, no. So that's my final thought. I don't know if you had one or not. I mean, I'm just no. That's it. Nah, yeah. Good. Okay. Join us next week when we are going to talk about the fourth movie in the phase one, which is Thor. Which uh, spoiler? I'm not a fan, but I'm not surprised by that. I I have not not seen it in a while, so I saw it that one time. Actually, I don't think I've ever gone back, so it'll be interesting to revisit these. So it'll be busy to see if you know what I first thought holds true. So you never know. Okay, that's it. We'll see you next week, and as always, stay hick around because uh, Pat's going to give you some recommended reading. 
And uh, but yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Take care. Thank you. As always, at the end of each episode, we like to send you home with some recommended reading that follows up on some of the characters and plots presented in this week's film. Our recommended reading section is sponsored by Infinite Heroes, comics, cards, and collectibles in Watertown, Connecticut. If you're in the Connecticut or New England area, it's a great location to pick up comics from Marvel as well as DC, Image, and more. They also have a large collection of trading cards, toys, and collectibles. Owner Paul Santos has worked in comics for years, most recently as an editor at DC Comics. Ask him for a recommendation and tell him we sent you. So what are we reading this week? Uh, Demon in a Bottle, number one. You knew it was coming. If you haven't read it, stop listening. Go download it now. Or I guess you could continue listening while you download it. Um, essentially, you know, we talked about this is a story that was 12 years in the making. This is the quintessential Iron Man story. Written by Dave uh, David Michelin and Bob Layton, with art by Layton and John Romita and Carmine Infantino. It runs about nine issues of Iron Man's solo story. It introduces Justin Hammer as Tony faces alcoholism. Um, it has him being falsely accused of murder. It also includes one of the more, um, as I mentioned, famous scenes of Tony looking haggard and looking into the mirror with a bottle of alcohol on the nightstand. Number two, Armor Wars 2. Uh, as we mentioned already, don't worry, you don't really need Armor Wars 1 to understand it. You'd absolutely go back and check it out uh, if you want to. But this uh, Armor Wars 2 collects issues 258 through 266. It's by John Byrne, John Romita Jr., son of John Romita, and Bob Wycheck. Uh, Armor Wars 2 sees Iron Man's suit's central nervous system taken over by uh, dark forces. He faces more craze and difficult villains as he's fighting with himself, and then he has help in the form of Rhodey, who also dons the Iron Man suit. And then kind of a, a, a three-parter here, uh, going back to the very early days of uh, Iron Man in Tales of Suspense, issues 46, number 52, and 97. So these issues by Stan Lee, Don Heck, and later Gene Cologne feature the introduction of Crimson Dynamo, Black Widow and Whiplash, respectively. Uh, the first two, including Black Widow, was introduced as a uh, villain, uh, both Russian villains. It ties back into Iron Man's history of fighting communists. And then we see Whiplash uh, prior to being Blacklash in his initial incarnation, prior to be him being adapted for the screen. So these are, um, gave you a little bit more than three this time, a few quick reads and tales of suspense. But until next time, happy reading and thanks for spending some time with us.